Thank you for joining us on EZ's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Top of mind for the last few weeks, of course, has been the Surfside condo collapse. And we have a special page at EZ931Miami.com with links to many groups that are collecting funds to support the victims of the collapse. And unfortunately, as we see in any time of crisis, there are always scammers out there ready to take advantage of other people's loss. So we wanted to talk to Commissioner Nikki Freed with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services about that aspect of it, the consumer services. But if you don't mind, Commissioner Freed, your department is over so many different areas. Can you give us a brief overview of everything that you are involved in and have to know about? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this morning. It's a great opportunity to be able to reach out with your listeners. Yeah, our department is tremendous. Uh, and that was some things that on uh, during the campaign trail, uh, I really tried to emphasize, especially in South Florida, uh, that always believed, why do I need to care about the commissioner of agriculture? And so what I talk about is not only to the agriculture component, which is obviously essential, second largest economic driver for our state, $147 billion economic impact, 2 million individuals work in agriculture across the state, 46,000 and working farms and ranches. So it's a tremendous aspect of who we are here in the state of Florida. I mean, look, the orange is on our license plates. You can tell how much agriculture is ingrained in the fiber of our state. But outside of just agriculture, we have 19 divisions on totality. They deal with everything, all of our licensing of our private investigators who are security guards and, of course, uh, the beloved concealed weapons program that falls underneath the department. We also oversee all of our weights and measures. So that's why you'll see me... Uh, my sticker on your scales at the food stores because we measure as you check out to make sure that your fish and your produce are measured correctly. Same thing when you go to the airport and you put down your, your luggage on the scales, we make sure that those are calibrated correctly. We have an office of energy that is a think tank for all things energy for our state. The office of cannabis, which oversees our new state's uh, program, as well as our consumer division. So it's agriculture and consumer services. That's why it's FDAX, Florida Department of Agriculture consumer services. And our consumer side of the wing deals with everything from fair rides to nonprofit organizations, to charities, to different things like travel agents, movers, uh, interstate movers. I mean, it's really a tremendous full breadth of activities that we oversee. We oversee about 40,000 different uh, convenience stores and gas stations, making sure that when you buy gas, the gas station pump, which is also why you see my stickers on the gas station, making sure that you're buying an 87 grade, that that's exactly what you're buying to the skimmers that are inside of the gas pumps. And of course, we oversee the Food and Nutrition and Wellness Program, which also makes sure that no child goes hungry through our school nutrition program and also coordinations with all of our food banks that we saw our team work overdrive during the pandemic to provide food for families who were suffering during the pandemic and, of course, throughout the entire year. How do you stay up to date on all of these different subjects and know enough about each one to make reasonable, educated decisions? Well, one, I don't sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's uh, I, I get briefings on a pretty normal basis, but I have experts around me. And that's really what I believe, you know, showing, you know, good leadership 
is that I have experts in all those different fields. And I have personally been involved in interviewing everybody. And when I talk through issues, I get briefed by those experts and we make rational decisions together. I don't operate in a vacuum. So I bring in resources and people around me. Uh, so we make the right decision on behalf of the people of our state. And obviously the environment too is a huge aspect of, of things that we do every day and the balance between agriculture and protecting our natural resources, which are not a contradiction. They actually work hand in hand if done properly. Yeah, that's a huge thing. We talk so much about whenever there's a cold snap, oh, the oranges are not going to be good this season. They're going to freeze and orange prices will go up. So it makes sense that everything, the agriculture, the environment and the consumer aspect of it are tied in. Um, yep. You just made an announcement in the last week, I think it, you make so many, um, mm -hmm. about the school nutrition program and some emergency relief funding. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So unfortunately, uh, during the pandemic, knowing that all of our schools closed, my team and all of the incredible administrators across the state, from our purchasers to our school boards to our teachers and everybody involved in the school nutrition program, I really stepped up to the plate. Uh, we made sure, because it was a goal of mine, that during this pandemic, when schools were closed, that every child who was still dependent on receiving our free and reduced meals was going to get access to food. Unfortunately, one million of our kids are food insecure, that the only place where they can get food is in the schools. Um, so it was a really big mission of my team to know that that had to happen during our, our schools. But what happened also is that a lot of the programs lost a lot of their additional funding, that when we know a child goes in to get one of their free or reduced meals, they may also buy an extra bag of chips or they may be bringing their friends with them who buy an entire lunch. And so all that money didn't get into the hands of our school nutrition program last year. And we saw about $263 million of a deficit. And unfortunately, I'd asked the governor on, on numerous occasions to help with that money coming in from the CARES dollars that was coming from the federal government to offset some of those costs. As our schools, we're going to have to make some really tough decisions, whether to hire individuals, give less of the options or to reduce the programs. So this money was essential. And unfortunately, um, we didn't get it from the state. So we were able to secure that money. And we got about $93 million that came down from the federal government to help offset some of these programs. And that's only part of, I mean, it's over a billion dollars that you're overseeing with the school lunch and breakfast programs. So that only covers part of what the needs are. How do you make up the difference? Well, luckily, we saw a lot of money coming down that came from the different CARES dollars and the new Biden plan on the American Recovery Plan. So we saw, we're seeing a lot of that money coming down, but this really is to help to compensate for the money that was lost last year. We still have that money coming down from the federal government on the typical programs, but this money is to help offset the losses from last year. Okay. Uh, let's talk about this energy equity study that you just released a plan for, for the Office of Energy. Yes. So we made this big announcement in Tampa last week, and I have been this week also in Jacksonville promoting it because unfortunately we have 3 million of our Floridians that live in poverty and a great portion of those are black and brown communities. And unfortunately, when our communities can't upgrade their utilities, they end up paying 50% more on their energy bills. And so families across our state are having to make some really hard decisions, pay their electric bill, pay their rent, pay for food, uh, just the very basics. And unfortunately, if we can't come with a, the plan of how to deal with these inequities, we're going to see a, a lot of our families go under and not be able to afford living where they live. And so we are looking at, at information to get back from our different partners across the state 
ideas, what's happening on a local level. That way we can start targeting and getting grant dollars out to these communities. Because if they are part of the solution, then they also not only are going to be able to reduce the amount of money that they're utilizing for utility bills, but they're also going to be part of the solution of how to work on the climate crisis that's happening across our state and our country. And that's everything from updating of appliances, insulation in their homes, but to new air conditioning units. I mean, it's across the board, even lights different types of lights that we know are more energy efficient. So it's really important that we get stakeholders across the state involved and engaged so we can start moving the ball forward on to deal with this inequity that we've seen um, dealing just with the energy alone. Yeah, we um, in Miami-Dade and Broward counties, we are fortunate that FPL or the county offers certain perks for people who upgrade. You know, you can get the reduced flow shower heads for free. You trade yours in in Miami-Dade County, they'll give it to you for free. I wouldn't expect that it's the same in every county. So how do you make choices county to county and keep track of all of the different counties throughout the state? Well, that's exactly why we put out this information now. And to get the deadline for information coming in is on Thursday at 5 p.m., so July 21st. Uh, So really encourage anybody who's listening to go on to our website, which is fdax.gov. That's F-D-A-C-S dot gov. And there's links on there to get information. And that's exactly what we're doing, trying to grab this information so we can put together a plan, see what's going on in the locals, see which communities are being hit the hardest and come up with a plan of how to compensate. And and yes, of course, you know, getting that, that extra waterhead is important, but there's some bigger issues that are going on out there and getting that information out there because it's not just water. It's everything from, again, the the electric bills as well. Yeah. And allowing people to have input and giving them a voice and be part of the whole system is really what we need. Engagement from the consumers. Otherwise, it's a bunch of people at the top making decisions for people they have no idea. You know, in their mind, they may know what they think is right, but the people may think something completely different. Absolutely. And that's a big problem with government in general. Uh, you know, that the government and, and what we're seeing a lot in Tallahassee is taking away even local control. And so people in Tallahassee are making decisions for locals. So we need to get back to, you know, who knows best. And that's our consumers. That's the people closest to our consumers and making sure that we are empowering the voice of those that are being impacted the most by all of this to let them know that there are people out there that want to do what's right and want to give them those resources. Uh, We just need to get information from them so we can better serve them. Okay, so let's send everyone to FDACS.gov, Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. And in addition to having Having a place where you can express your opinions, there's a way to email directly from the website. You can also read the summer newsletter. And I was really just very happy to see that one of the things that you address all the time is consumer scams. And boy, if Florida isn't a hot spot for it, you know, every hurricane, you see people selling ice for $5 or $10. And it just boggles my mind that there are those who will take advantage of people who've lost everything. But it's always like that. And with Surfside, we have, again, a page on our website at easy931miami.com with a lot of links to organizations that are collecting funds or actual items that people will need. The same thing that happens after someone loses their home in a hurricane. But what we're also dealing with here is you've got people who survived who need medical care. They're going to need homes, clothes, pretty much everything replaced. 
the families of those who didn't make it are not only dealing with losing someone and grieving, but they also have to put the family affairs in order. You've got children who are now orphaned, parents who have lost children, people who've lost half or all of the family income, and there's so much need there. So how can we be sure that the organizations we're donating to are actually putting the money where it's supposed to go? I mean, I what you just described is just so heartbreaking. And I was there on the first day and multiple days thereafter and talking to our first responders and talking to the families and talking to people that were already in the ground, uh, coordinating furniture and that I was working with trying to get them stored down in South Florida. And, and it is just so heartbreaking what's happened. We've got to do everything we can to make sure that this is an isolated incident in our state and our country. You know, you're absolutely right. During this time, people take advantage. You're right. We saw that during COVID when people would say, oh, I've got toilet paper for, you know, $50 and you would never get the toilet paper. And, and so that's what our, our office does is that we go through and we have to register if you are a nonprofit or a charity that is collecting money from people from the state of Florida. You must register with us, the Department of Agriculture, and we monitor it to make sure they're legit organizations and paperwork up and running. And so if anybody is wanting to donate, which I certainly definitely encourage, go onto our website, which again is fdax.gov. There's a check a charity portion on our website. You can also put in just nonprofits and it will update you on, on which nonprofits are actually registered with us. But also ask your own questions and do your due diligence. How much of this is actually going to the victims versus administrative overheads? Because certainly if you're giving $100, you don't want $75 of that 100 to be going towards the administrators or towards the rent of those buildings or just their phone lines. You want to make sure that a majority, if not almost all of the money that you give is actually going to the people that need it the most. And unfortunately, there's a lot of fraud out there that we see pop up like we saw it after the hurricanes for the Bahamas. We see it during COVID. And for anybody who is listening that is even thinking about fraud of our state after a tragedy, we have a zero tolerance. We will come after you. We will shut you down. We will find you and make sure that you are known by the public as being somebody who has taken advantage of the people. We will not tolerate that. And so for those who are giving have confidence by going onto our site and looking up this information before you give your hard-earned money. Okay, so there's a section on the site, fdacs.gov, to verify which nonprofits are doing the right thing. Following up with that, we see memes on Facebook that list certain, you know, well-known national organizations, and it'll say, well, only 80% or only 20% goes to this. And I'll look at it. The problem there is, say, you've got a goodwill where their purpose is not to donate money to poor people. Their purpose is to train people who have disabilities to work. So people get a misunderstanding of an organization when someone breaks it down to dollars and doesn't look at what their service is supposed to be. I guess, again, you go to an official website. And don't take it from a meme on Facebook. Right. <laughs> I guess I yes, could have answered that. Anybody can put anything. <laughs> right, right. I should have been able to answer that myself. On, on social, on social media. So always, and we, you know, that's the best part of the American spirit is our generosity, our willingness to help our neighbors, our willingness to help our neighbors overseas. 
And so I, I, you know, commend everybody who's willing to do that. Just make sure you're, you're doing it to the right organizations. And that is going on to official sites, going on to your site, you know, where you all have also done your due diligence. And, you know, just be mindful that not everybody, unfortunately, does right by, by the people. But certainly they, they need clothes. They're going to need, again, furniture. I mean, just think about the, the essentials both from the victim side and from those who unfortunately lost everything, even the ones that were in the second building that they just tore down, that right. they, they lost everything too. They weren't allowed to go back into the sites and back onto the property. And I spoke to so many families who just wanted to go back in and just get their heirlooms. And unfortunately, it was just too dangerous to let people in. So they too have lost everything, even though they weren't in the first building. Um, these are really hard times for the South Florida community. And of course, as a member of the Jewish community, you know, my, my heart just breaks for so many of them, you know, the, the another scale of just what's going on and rebuilding this community. There have been a number of different suggestions of what to put there. You know, it's kind of like some places where tragedy happens, you feel like you can't rebuild the same way. And there's been talk about making it like a memorial site. There are so many options, of course. Where are you feeling that should be there? You know, I, I look at I look what happened in 9-11. You know, I think the same conversations were happening then. You know, what what do we do? You know, you, you have the, the conflict of, well, if we rebuild, you know, at that time, you know, that was against a terrorism attack and, you know, showing that we are not going to be defeated here in America. But you also wanted to build something that people can go to. And because, you know, we're still having a lot of missing individuals that we may not ever recover, you know, remains from. And there's going to have to be a spot where families can go to and and feel like they are part of the community and, and not to just brush this off as, as another tragedy in our state. You know, so I'm I'm going to listen to the to the families. You know, that it's definitely not my place to to pine on whether or not we rebuild or we have a memorial. Um, I think the families who lost their loved ones there or were part of, of this tragedy, it should be their say and what they collectively want to do to best memorialize this and to have a place for, for where they can find um, some comfort and some relief from, from the tragedy. Just curious, I'm not sure if you can answer this for some insight on how a decision about that would be made because you've got the property owner, whoever owns the land, the owners of the construction, the building itself, then you've got politics that come into it and the people who come into it. How would a decision about that piece of property even be made? You know, I look at a little bit of what happened um, out at Pulse. You know, you had the yes. same situation there um, yes. where you had a community that came together. And I was at the Pulse Memorial um, Services a couple of weeks, about a month ago at this point, And the owner there made it into a memorial. And so, I, but the community comes together and, and does that. And I think that's what would have to happen here too, that between the, the survivors and the victims' families, the owner of the property itself and, you know, city and county come together. And I think that there's definitely, you know, unfortunately upon this, bureaucracy comes into place. I hope that's not the case, but certainly bring everybody to the table to do what's best. And hopefully the owners of the property and the original building will put aside financial gains and realize that they got to do and listen to the people that, you know, again, were the victims or the survivors. You mentioned earlier that also falling under agriculture is the Office of Cannabis, which is now medicinally legal. I know there have been 
some conversations about wanting to overturn that, but we all know that the taxes that can be made from making cannabis legal, even recreationally, and I think that's what most of the state of Florida population wants, uh, just the money that these other states that have legalized it are taking in, that could get us completely out of debt. With your office, what are the requirements for someone to become a vendor? Yes. So uh, right now we've got two programs in our state. We've got the medical marijuana side, which is underneath the Department of Health under the governor. And so I have an advocate for the expansion of not just access to medical marijuana, but affordable access that means reduction of costs, breaking up the vertical integration, giving more licenses to our minority farmers, which were cut out of the first rounds, to getting our healthcare system to start stepping up to cover for co-pays, annual visits. We've got a lot of work to do to fix the medical marijuana program. And I hope that we can continue working with our legislature to fully implement the votes of the people and implementing the medical marijuana amendment. I oversee the hemp program, um, so which is kind of a, a sister cousin of the medicinal plant. I try to just explain it, describe it a little bit to all of my uh, whiskey drinkers that it's kind of like whiskey underneath that you have in scotch. So depending on how it's barreled and you know how it's grown, where it's grown. Uh, for the length of time, uh, it is really different between whether it is medicinal versus a hemp plant, uh, which is not only used for CD products, but industrial usage of replacing of our plastics and styrofoam and paper and concrete to fabric, biofuels, all degradable, better for the environment. What I would like to see is not just, you know, the expanded medical program, which is necessary, but also work towards legalization in adult use. Uh, this is an opportunity, again, for our farmers, for our entrepreneurs out there that want to get involved in the cannabis space, for the cultivation, manufacturing, processing, research, distribution, and everything in between to have a real more involvement in the actual marijuana side of things, not just the hemp side. It also is an incredible opportunity for full income for our state. Growth exponentially will increase when we actually legalize. It's an opportunity reform, which means a reduction in our attorney's costs and courthouses and jails. Also getting a lot of people out of jail and prison for some possession charges. Our medicine in blue go after hardened criminals and not just those that are involved in the marijuana space. But it was a reduction of our health care costs uh, so that people are using cannabis as opposed to other types of pharmaceutical drugs. So it's a win-win-win for our state once we go towards adult use, the reduction of costs uh, like medical, criminal, but also now an increase in revenue and job opportunities for people across our state. Yeah, I, I have to laugh when I see like Shikari Richardson, who was banned from the Olympics for having uh, marijuana in her system. Like that's not a performance enhancing drug in any right. way. Right. <laughs> it just shows how far behind we are in our country. And unfortunately, you know, in this conversation, I know the Olympics is more of also a national um, standard. But if we don't get stands in America on this issue and end prohibition, I mean, this has to get behind us. I mean, truly, black and brown men are still going into prison where white men um, are making millions of dollars. I mean, even Clarence Thomas, who is one of the most conservative on our courts, uh, two weeks ago came out with an opinion that the federal government has one foot in and one foot out. It's time to stop that. Um, and that is everything from access to capital to banking, so many different things that are really hinged on legalization for the United States to, to start moving. Yeah, it's nice to see the awareness 
of the inequities becoming more well-known, that there's so much conversation about equity and diversity and inclusion right now. And some people may think, oh, that's just a catchphrase, but it's the truth. So that yep. is is comforting to see. And I know I've taken so much of your time, <laughs> which is limited. Just one final question. Since you have been commissioner, what have you seen and experienced that has changed you or helped you see things in a different way? You know, I, I ran for office because I was frustrated and it's right for public education, it's right for foster care kids and a fight for exposure to medical marijuana and saw what was happening and just bills being killed and amendments getting added at the last minute. And if you didn't have big corporate checks behind you, uh, you didn't get access to the legislators. And so I saw that from the outside perspective. And now I see it up close and personal from the inside perspective. And I see how decisions are being made. Uh, I just see that the back group dealing. I see the conversations. I'm, I'm hearing that and see where I know I would have led differently and made different decisions. Um, so what it has done is even more empowered me and given me a resolve that I'm on the right path and that the system that has been set up in our state for 24 straight years is rigged against the people. Yeah. And we need our state to come together and to recognize we are a bottom country when it comes to education infrastructure. We can't get better paying jobs until we fix our healthcare system and bring in these bigger corporations and bigger companies to have a better paying and access to capital for our small businesses and our minorities. So all this has done is really empower me and continue to inspire me to do better and to know that we can do better. And that's what I do every single day. I wake up, you know, I had a story that was told to me weeks ago um, by a woman that had come to one of my events and she had said to her daughter, we go off to, to go see, you know, Commissioner Keefree, the first female commissioner of the state of Florida. And then that day, the woman said to me, you know, what makes, wakes you up every day to keep doing what you're doing? And I said, that story, that you're talking to your daughter about the possibilities for her in the future and to break those last feelings and to know that your daughter in the future will have a better opportunities to survive and to flourish and to have anything that she wants to do in life. That is beautiful. And it's such a great role model for anyone who thinks that they don't have a say and that only the government can make things happen. But the government all started, all the people in politics started as individuals who said, okay, I'm not happy with the way things are. I want to change them. And so you ran for office and I urge the people who are not happy to have their say, whether it's by going to fdacs.gov to give your opinion about whether it's the energy equity study or just to send an email with your opinion, stay in touch with your legislators, whether they're state or national, and tell them what you think, because we have to remember, we hired them. And um, yeah, and we can fire them. <laughs> and and w there are some that we should, but we're not going to get into that. But it's a great inspiration. And if anyone has aspirations of, you know, being part of making a difference and making change or keeping things the same, if that's what matters to you, get involved, whatever your viewpoints we the people are who are supposed to be running the country. So I thank you for setting that role model. I thank you for your time. I, I've been very greedy and I appreciate <laughs> you being so All generous. Right. Again, the website is fdacs.gov for Commissioner Nikki Freed. You can see everything we've just talked about. And if someone wants to send me an email, that's also directly from the website. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. Thank you. Commissioner Freed, I very much appreciate your time.
Thank you. And please remember that if you are able to help the victims of the Surfside condo collapse, we have a page at easy931miami.com, and it has links to a number of organizations that are collecting either cash or items. There's a tremendous amount of need right now, and we ask you to support our neighbors. One of the other hot topics right now, of course, is what's happening in Cuba with the demonstrations, people rising up and demanding democracy. And we would like to hear your opinions. I've seen Facebook posts, some in favor of the demonstrations and South Floridians being involved in it. We have to remember that a huge portion of our community still has family and friends there and were born there and then came here. So there are many people who are interested in democracy in Cuba and are happy to march on their behalf. And there are others who are, frankly, annoyed by having streets shut down for a protest. If you would like to get your opinion in, email me at ellen at easy93.com. I will return your email. I thank you for listening today. If you have questions about today's program or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me, as again, at ellen at easy93.com. Have yourself a wonderful Sunday.